Hi, my name is Chris Kulmer, and welcome to the Music Teachers in International Schools podcast. In this podcast, I explore the unique world of music education in the international school context. You will hear amazing stories from music teachers working at international schools all around the world. Learn tips and tricks from a global community of leading music ed experts and be inspired to develop your capacity to be truly international in your approach to music education. Okay, welcome everybody to the Music Teachers in International Schools podcast. Today, I'm really excited to have Jennifer Walden with me, uh, a music educator in international schools all over the world, in fact, but originally from Canada. And uh, Jennifer is is extremely experienced in this world, and we're really excited to learn from her, learn about her experience and uh, some of her ideas, which we'll get into as we go, uh, and we're going to get deep, hopefully. So, just to give you a bit of background on Jennifer, she is um, a music educator, as I said, but she describes her approach to music education as truly global, teaching culturally diverse understanding, awareness, and appreciation through music. Uh, she's worked in international schools in Taiwan, Colombia, Syria, Malaysia, Singapore, the Netherlands, uh, Canada, Venezuela, and now she's in the Dominican Republic. Um, Jennifer's presented at over 50 conferences and has multiple publications in academic journals. And I learned about Jennifer through one of these journals. It was an auto-ethnographic study with a great title. I like the title straight away. The title is A Drum, A Gong and a Lion, Culturally Diverse Music in International Schools. Um, so Jennifer's going to explore, hopefully, this culturally diverse music idea. And uh, let's get into it. So... How are you doing, Jennifer? I'm great. Thanks. Great. So let's start off. One of my favorite questions, I think. Can you tell us what was your initial journey to international school music teaching? Gosh, it started way back. I graduated from my bachelor's degree and the choices of where to do student teaching or practicum, as they sometimes call it, were in these small little towns. And it sounded very very boring to me. And uh, then they said, we do have an international uh, student teaching program. And I was like, yes, my father was a musician and a traveler. And uh, so I really had gotten inspiration from him. And so they sent me to Taipei American School in Taiwan. And uh, honestly, I had to look up Taiwan was at that time, because this was back in the early 80s, 1980s. And so that's what got me launched. And when I got there, I realized that there's this whole huge world of international teaching. And that's where it started. That is cool. So this was the 80s, going to Taiwan. Yeah, yeah before internet, before in a lot of things, yeah. That is awesome. So you're currently in the Dominican Republic. Um, what's, you know, what's one thing you love most about living and working there? Uh, I have to admit one of the things is proximity to Canada is really nice. Uh, and also though, uh, living, um, one would say an island life, but, uh, experiencing that kind of culture that lives, uh, with, um, 
just a, a different sense of time and urgency, perhaps. And learning to really um, adapt and to do one's best to, to function. And when I say function, I mean just to let some of your own um, assumptions go mm. and, and live within that type of, type of culture. And the students themselves um, are very... Let's see. You would say that I guess they're uh, more emotional when things happen and a very different thing from when I worked uh, in in schools in Asia, for example. And I am generalizing, but it um, it is very noticeable to be in a country where, first of all, the beach is really important to almost every Dominican uh, and and traveling to the beach, and also family is extremely important. And there will be times where a, a reason for not attending school might be something that we, or myself from my initial culture in Canada would be, well, you just go to school and then do that later, as opposed to, well, no, 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 this is family, this comes first. Mm. And learning then to really embrace that and embrace that idea as you work with these students and, and really uh, integrate that in, that knowing that family is important and that uh, life in terms of being together with people is, is super important. And so then using that in the, in the classroom, I think that that's one of the one of the things I notice about working there, living there is pretty fantastic uh, because the beach is not far away. But at the same time, uh, a couple hours and you're in the mountains and it's very, very diverse there. They have uh, the chilly mountain um, climates and then sand dunes and, and like I say, beautiful beaches. Uh, and also the music mm. is is really great too. So being able to immerse oneself in all that is 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 very nice at this stage of my career for sure. That's so great. And let's go to the music side of things. How do you how have you experienced the music in Dominican Republic so far? Well, there are, for example, there uh, they have a very they have so they, I would say these two. Um, two general streams, if we want to call them that. Uh, one is a, a, a very Western-based, which is the Conservatory of Music. And it's, uh, again, very Western, um, concert band type stuff and string orchestra. And these are encouraged and brought right from uh, youth. They have youth symphony and youth wind bands. And then... There is the, the stream more of the local traditional music, which you'll find uh, many pockets of that in the city. And also in areas outside of the city, you can go to different villages where you're going to find just really great um, palos music, which is usually a, uh, let's see, set of congas, the guira, and that's a And also... Uh, the tambora, which is a double-headed drum. One is hand, one is with a stick. And 
you you really can find you can find that music almost anywhere it seems and especially um well on the beaches you'll find merengue bands and part of it is for the tourists but then you'll find them even more so on the beaches where tourists don't really go it's more the local people uh go there and so it's it's beautiful to see too that the uh the children as well learn many of the rhythms and they they know the instruments and they also love to dance and and so you've got this culture that's not inhibited about dancing and you know as soon as they as soon as they hear the music start up they're going and they've got their merengue <laughs> going and they've, they've got their moves all down so it's it's such an enjoyable culture in terms of their own traditional music uh, merengue bachata uh, are two of the very uh, popular forms of music there and, and then you get more of the popular like the pop music culture uh, which is reggaeton and yes there's reggaeton everywhere <laughs> in the dominican um, amazing amazing that reggaeton has exploded as much as it has is the reggaeton yeah. can i jump in is the reggaeton the the kind of key rhythm uh it's the and yeah, and many songs you'll get that, like many pop songs, you get that sort of non-metered start, and then and then the beat drops, and that's where they go crazy. And they're all over it. Yeah, everybody's all over it, and they play it loud, loud volume. Yeah, that's so cool. Um, I noticed on your website, there's, and I think this links to what you've just been saying quite well, you, you mentioned that for you, learning never stops and that in each location, um, we mentioned the, the multiple locations you've worked and lived in, in each location, you tend to study the language, the instruments, the vocal styles and the movement. And I thought that was a really mm-hmm. awesome statement to make. What are some of your approaches to doing that learning? Um. Well, first, determination and throwing one's inhibitions right out the door. Yeah. Because I know right away, especially uh, when I was in Asia uh, and now in the Dominican, I, I, I don't look local and I'm, I'm tall. And so, you know, I'm kind of this big dorky Amazon walking into the, <laughs> to the scene. Um, and, but... Uh, so th- th- that's the the biggest thing I think it's been is just this uh, drive to want to know, and it started right with when I uh, was in a night market in Taiwan, and I thought I knew everything about music, and I, I go to this night market and I hear this this music and this singing and and like percussion happening, and I'm thinking I what is this? And I came around the corner and it was this full Beijing opera going on. And that was such a huge slap on the face to me because I realized I don't know anything. I have no idea what's going on in front of me. And yet this audience of a hundred, they all know what's going on. I mean, it's just a little night market, but 
that really um, kicked me into you know, wanting to learn. So wanting to unfold and, and work out all these mysteries to me, wanting to know what is all that makeup? What do the costumes mean? What are the musicians doing? What are the instruments they're playing? And so I went down to the local uh, Beijing Opera School and just my Chinese at that time was terrible, but just got across that, I, you know, we didn't have Google Translate on the phone there. Um, but uh, just I really wanted to learn. So they just let me come down and observe. And then I studied it. And um, uh, let's see some of the remember, there's some great books in English. But this that started the pattern. Mm. And I remember. When I then moved to Colombia, actually, I knew there was this cumbia music. And again, it was like, I can't stand not knowing. I have to know what they're doing and, and get through all this mystery and know where the music fits and know who listens to it, who plays it. And uh, so that really has happened in, in each country. It's been more difficult in some and then very easy in some countries. Um, but really then looking it through the lens of a teacher and how can I now use this integrated into the curriculum uh, for the, for my students. Yeah. Let's go to teaching then because that's a really nice segue and international school teaching specifically. So, one of my favorite questions, what makes, in your opinion, what makes a good international school music teacher? Well, I think I've, I think I've uh, let's see, mentioned a few things. One of them, letting your inhibitions go and being bold, advocating for your program. And, and when I say advocating, I don't mean uh, sticking to a Eurocentric curriculum and advocating for that. It's more advocating for what's best for these students. And especially now um, uh, with um, inclusivity and diversity, uh, some equality, this just ties so beautifully. So I think an international music teacher, one, they are going to go to that school knowing there are tons of resources right outside the school. You have to just hunt for them. Uh, tap into, it's someone who taps into also the local hire at the school. And um, I, I think of Venezuela when I was there and there was this Venezuelan group, uh, the Paranderos, and they were so gracious and they let me play with them. And I played the cuatro with them and then also the upright bass when they needed bass player. Uh, but the learning that went on in that. And I think of all these pieces that are in, 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 in meter in fives. And at first you're just going crazy because you're always counting. And then you learn the songs well enough to just feel them. Mm -hmm. And you realize this is, this is how they learn. This is how they've grown up with this. It's, it's not, you know, I'm bringing in my Western stuff of thinking I've got to count fives, but um Anyway, uh, so a teacher who is really ready to, to throw themselves into those learning situations and not worry about being wrong um, and, and find people who are, are happy to let you learn, 
uh, or even observe um, because you learn a lot uh, doing that as well. I think it's a teacher who realizes that what they say in the classroom is crucial. And this is a point that I try and bring up in, in no matter what workshops, clinics, um, talks, presentations I'm doing is the way many teachers talk about music infers that there is Western music and the other. And just, I, I'm not sure if you want some examples, but um, there are some very simple and very powerful examples. Uh, if you use the term, if you're with the students and you say, okay, so in music, this does this. Hmm. Already, you have uh, created this assumption of values that it's only this music, whatever music you're studying. Whereas it, um, it, it you should be saying in this music, in this music, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then paralleling that with there are many other uh, styles and kinds of music and genres of music. And that might not happen in that. But in this music, this happens. And so I try and always prefix it with that. I, I think, um, again, a good international music teacher is going to have examples, visuals on the walls. Uh, I like to have examples of different notation. And uh, when someone asks me, do you read music? I will answer, well, I, I read a number of kinds of music. Are you, do you mean standard staff notation? Do you mean sargam? Do you mean cipher, um, makam? Uh, you know, the, um, but there are, what was the other one I was looking at? There's a style of uh, rap notation as well. And so having those up on the wall and students then are not assuming that Western standard notation is the only style of notation. Um, and also looking, looking then at playing or singing scales from around the world, that there's not just Western diatonic, major, minor uh, modes and things like that, that you can actually learn to play and sing uh, scales that aren't Western-based. And a beautiful one I love is one out of um, the Sunda people in Indonesia. And so once, once my students learn to sing or play in cipher, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Then I'll say, okay, let's take away um, the uh, uh, twos and the sixes and let's play that. Or let's take away the fours and the sevens and you get a yeah, pentatonic scale. Or let's flatten the third and the sixth. Um, and, then, and, and, and then you've got the Japanese Hirajoshi scale. So... And I've done this with little guys too, in you know, from first grade onward, just really keeping them aware in everything we do. When we talk about harmony, that's very much a time when you have to say in this music, in Western music, there is this idea of harmony. Not all musics around the world have the idea of harmony. Uh, and little kids get that. They are they're so great because sometimes adults. It's very. It's harder for them to to then switch the way they're thinking. But little kids get it, and and when we even when I've dealt with uh, students who 
are from uh, different religions, etc. If we do something that is religious based, uh, even six year olds will say, no, you're not trying. We know, we understand it. You're not trying to tell us that we have to become whatever religion we have to turn Hindu or something. You know, they're saying, no, you're just teaching us about that. Uh, yeah. Uh, so that gets into another sort of whole political thing. But I think a good international music teacher is going to be recognizing this. And also, again, as I said, going out into the community and seeing what's there, bringing them in. And, you know, we just had a festival in at, at our school and we had um, two of the maintenance workers. They uh, played Palos music and then two of them are dancers. And so we had them performing. Uh, it, it's right there. The music is right there and ignoring it is doing a huge disservice to the students who are at school. Students might not love it at first, but it's only because they don't know about it. As soon as students know about something, they're all over it. They just want to tell everybody what they know about it. Uh, so I, I think there are many points that I've touched on, but um, the, the biggest one is to really pursue uh, to let it, let let go, be bold, um, not be afraid to make mistakes, and believe in what you're teaching. Believe that what you say will really influence how your students are going to go on into the into the world and and think. And uh, you can stick you can stick to a Western concept idea. For example, that there's rhythm, beat, melody, upward, downward, high, low, but you don't have to use just Western examples, and uh, there's so much available that's that's music, but it's not Western-based music. And use those examples. Um, have, uh, high schoolers, we once were looking at intervals and and then playing for them some Bulgarian vocal music, and then saying it really sounds dissonant. And I said that's because you've grown up with the third sounding consonant to you but it being uncomfortable to sit at a minor or major second so, but to them, that's what it sounds like. Uh, so I, and, and I could, I could go on and on with examples, uh, but it's where I would also encourage teachers to read some of my, my publications because I do give lots of examples, but I think that's, those are some of the main things that we, it's our responsibility to really involve kids in diversity and in helping them to realize that music that's really important or special to them, there is easily some music that is very different, but is very special to another person. And music fits, it It all fits into, into it, uh, its different cultures. And um, it's just really important to everybody. It doesn't all have to be the same music. Jennifer, I think that was gold. Like, what an amazing, what an amazing uh, summary, I guess, of some of your ideas and your approach. And I mean, to answer the question, what makes a good international school music teacher so thoroughly and so broadly? I mean, I'm I'm excited, and I hope people that are listening are thinking, yeah, I could I could take some things away from this. Two thoughts that I had straight away was this assumption in international schools that we have to bring. Uh, especially if we're an overseas hire. So, you know, the, the most common employee sort of employees in international schools, if you look at some of the research is England, Australia, the USA, Canada. And this assumption that we have to bring our music and 
sort of have that as the dominant uh, approach to music education is really interesting. And I often wonder if that links to the the traditional international school model of expat schools, essentially, you know, when international schools first were popping up, they were catering to the global workforce and expatriate people. But nowadays, as research suggests, there's so many students from all over the world, including a majority of, of local students in a school. And I think what you're saying about coming in with open-mindedness and teaching musics or this music or that music um, really would help with potentially with that idea that an international school is not maybe what it used to be and that it does cater to a real interesting mix of individuals. Um, I don't know if you would resonate with that now and maybe the question that I'd like to sort of ask on the back of that is have you what have you seen change over the years in international schools as a music educator have you seen that change with student populations and how you've approached music education um or has it been yeah just let's just explore that what have you seen uh, yeah, I think, um, and, and um, I'm sorry, my internet was kind of wobbling there for a moment. Okay. So if I'm on the wrong track, let me know. But I think what you're asking is over the years, looking at, uh, in my experience, if there have been changes in international schools and, and music t- teaching, and yeah. um, uh, also th- look, looking at the student demographics yes. and, and the experience. Okay. Yeah, I think... There, there are a few avenues on that question. Uh, the, the one being um, looking at uh, the, the, shall we say, the thirst for, oh my gosh, we really want to be able to teach, at that time it was called multicultural music in our classes. And that was certainly in the late 80s and 90s that this idea was becoming more and more popular and there were a lot of conferences, um, cultural diversity and music education uh, um, was one of them. And I know NAFME was running a, a conference and this was really a big thing. Uh, and lots of publications were occurring. Um, it, it started to, to turn in the early 2000s and um, 9-11, we saw a big change in terms of, you know, do we want to just keep including this? Do we want to be constantly inclusive and say that every music is, is, is equal, is uh, fantastic? And it, it just, it seemed that there was, especially in the United States, this collective hesitation, shall we say. Uh, and, but but looking though at the people who were focusing on on this, on looking at diversity and and inclusion, those people uh, continued and continued on uh, with a, a lot of work was done in this. When I say they continued on, there was a um, a, large, uh, a manifesto created by Pat Campbell and uh, some of her colleagues to say, really, it was saying, people, there's there's no excuse now. This is this is happening in our our world. Our world is so diverse. It's it's no longer separated into insular countries. Um, our students 
need to need to know what is happening culturally and musically. And we are in a position to do this. Um, I think also there has been a shift in the population of many international schools. And I say this when I look at places um, like Asia, uh, and I know in South America now it's happening as well. Uh, and there might be some teachers uh, who are listening who are saying, well, no, 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 that's not happening in our school. And, and I do understand that. But the internationalism of a lot of schools has has altered i won't say changed completely but altered and and i think this is um part of this question mm. uh because it, it does get to then working with students um what i found in the 80s and 90s was we had a very broad uh demographic of students and families from really all over the world and it was really fantastic to tap into uh, you know, musics from many, many, many different regions, because often there were students who were from those regions who would share uh, about that, their families would share. Uh, and as, as we moved into the, well, this millennium, uh, there's been a shift. And one of the shifts being uh, really less, shall we say, less international kids at some of these schools, more of the locals uh, who sometimes it's more of the locals who can afford uh, to go to the international school. Um, and I think that also that really was evident when COVID hit, because a lot of companies, international companies, as we all know, they, they, sent, they sent their employees and a lot of schools actually you know, either shut down or uh, sent or sent their their teachers home or both. Um, and so a lot of the international students didn't return. Uh, so the next step that I've seen is in a lot of countries. Well, actually, then there's the other there's the uh, for profit schools. So when I was working in the uh, 80s. You could pretty much name each country and name or each city and name the international school that was there. Yeah. Uh, now, hundreds there of schools that call themselves international. Uh, what they what I see they really are for is to prepare their local students to go to universities overseas. Um, and that has created a different uh, what should we call it? a different dynamic mm. in terms of diversity. Uh, because now there are classrooms that are predominantly local, local kids uh, in in the in well ma making up the student body. So that has been uh, another shift for me as well, and I have had to change as as that occurs. And the the biggest change I did find was just within well when I was working in Venezuela, just within the three years because of Venezuela's political situation that that reduced our school to just a very small school, uh, but it made it so we were teaching mostly Venezuelans. Uh, and, and so I realized, okay, I really have to keep 
keep the experiences broad, but understand at the same time, they are all from a similar culture. We're not, we're not sort of teaching to this big span of cultures where it says this is one uh, culture. And I had to be sensitive to, okay, what are your values? What's important to you? And this has also happened in the Dominican Republic, uh, that our school has been in the past more international, but it's very much now more of a legacy school. And I look at it as, okay, we've got very wealthy students in our school. Uh, and at the same time, these are students who are going to be going out into this world and perhaps making important decisions. So again, it's my responsibility <laughs> to to just um, uh, what is it? Nurture this idea of, of diversity and embracing differences, uh, and understanding cultures, and looking at the way cultures look at their music, and understanding why something is important uh, to one culture and not another, or one person and not another. Uh, so. Has it, has it, does it have a new face now? Uh, in some ways, yes, but in other ways, if you've got just one or two, or um, when I say one or two, if you've got a very South American culture, but then you, um, we do have as well some Asians as well. But um, no matter who's there, still keeping the program diverse and still uh, having them try instruments that maybe they're thinking, well, why do I want to do that? Mm. Uh, but then really getting them involved in that. I, I don't know if that that's a long answer to your short question, yeah. um, but you're looking at, at changes I've seen over the years, and that is certainly some of them. One of the things, though, I have never not been supported at a school where I'm working. I have always advocated and promoted my program and not cared how silly fun whatever i have to be in the classroom uh you know if the kids want to you know be not so over you know something you can just be not so with them uh <laughs> uh you know it I, I have always been supported and always thanked my administration regularly um for the support yeah yeah that's that's amazing that's really cool to hear and i hope people resonate with that. I certainly felt similar in, in my schools that I worked at. The support was there. Um, I think your answer was was amazing in that um, that conversation about the changing demographic in international schools is, is, is a big topic at the moment if you look around the kind of international schooling chat. Um, and it's really going to be fascinating to see where it goes. And I think you're right. We do have a responsibility within that to... Um, to do the things that you've said. And I think I'd like to, if it's okay, explore that a little bit more because you did touch on some of your tools and uh, and you mentioned your publications that we could we could read to learn more, but could you maybe give us your, your main um, or your best ways of approaching uh, teaching a culturally diverse music curriculum? Sure. I, for example, I, I <clears throat> excuse me, I can, you know, I could go through a general music program, but then I, I think perhaps where some of the challenges are really is 
teachers who are hired to teach, let's say, concert band mm. or orchestra, string orchestra, which already are very Western-based um, concepts. Um, so uh, one of the one of the uh, well, let's say I have two groups that are um, concert band groups. And one of the first things I do is I make sure that the students know that I'll, I'll take any instrument in there. So I have a lot of guitars. Now they're not necessarily non-Western, but they are a, a um, popular pop music uh, instrument. And again, I just want to keep opening those doors to all students. So I include piano in there and uh bass guitar, electric guitar, uh, violins, cellos, whatever you want. I rewrite the parts. Mm. Um, guitars, I just re I'm a guitarist as well. So I just write the chords uh, for the guitarists. Uh, and, and uh, you know, there have been students um, who, uh, for example, we did have a Kayagum player uh, from Korea. And so what I did then was, and many... Now, concert band teachers would know there are um, some pieces, Korean pieces written. And so one of the things that I, I do is I find these kind of arrangements, um, but then often decide with the students, are we going to open up the middle of the piece and include some of the music then from the, or some of the traditional music from the country? Do we introduce it with that? You know, where do we want to put this in to feature? That's, cool. That's a great idea. Yeah. And, uh, and it's, you know, it's, it sounds hard to do, but you just do it. And, <laughs> and sometimes you have the advantage because, you know, often there aren't many, uh, often if you're the music teacher or a, one of the music teachers at the school, um, the others aren't probably going to scrutinize they're probably going to be really excited that you're including this kind of stuff and so from that same example if we're doing a piece let's say that's uh well west african there are lots and lots and lots of west african arrangements unfortunately they call them african celebration i mean let's look at let's that's look a whole at the topic right <laughs> yeah that's a lot of real estate yeah to be calling African. Um, so I really actually get my students then to um, to research, okay, where exactly in Africa is this happening? Um, and we'll get onto that next. But then what I'll do is I uh, have lots of drums in the room. If um, one of my articles is called A Pile of Drums, that was in, I think, Music Educators Journal. But that was based on using drums, uh, drums from around the world, or just any drums you can get your hands. Uh, so one of the first things I do when I get to a school is as soon as the budget comes out, then I'm saying, okay, here's what I want. Uh, it used to be super hard like 20 years ago, but now it's super easy. You go to Amazon, you can get almost any drum. <laughs> and so I, over the past two years, have ordered lots of drums for the program. And so the kids walk in, they see all these drums. Uh, and then I include them. So if we're doing a, a piece that is from an area in Africa and we explode the piece somewhere, middle and wherever they want to put it, and they all um, play a drum and we put uh, typical rhythms together, 
And you very quickly notice who your ringers are that can really get some of those hard rhythms. Yeah. And then you also notice who the, who those are, who just want to nice, keep that nice steady beat. And you're like, yeah, you're my anchor. Bring yeah. it on. <laughs> um, and so, you know, doing that, but also teaching them at the same time, uh, for example, th- this one piece we did was, okay, we're playing this piece called, I think it was African celebration. Uh, but it's got, I mean, it's got a fair amount of, uh, Western harmony in it, but the reason we're bringing all the drums into it and everybody putting down their contraband instruments and, and playing the drums, um, reinforcing the fact that in that style of music, rhythms and interlocking rhythms are really the 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 meat and the mm. the guts of the piece, as opposed to the Western idea of piling up these thick harmonies. And and so already it's it sounds like a small idea, but already you've reinforced that this is something in this music that's very important. Um, it might not be the million dollar question one day, but but the students realize, okay, this is more important in this piece than what I'm playing on the flute in this piece. Um, so doing that for, for um, concert band people and orchestra people, because there are lots of pieces written. I know that, um, oh gosh, I remember, I, I know, I know her name. I can see, um, I can't remember now. Sorry, everybody. Uh, a great arranger for young string orchestras. Um, she's Korean American, I believe, but she does lots of pieces from everywhere. So it's bringing, bringing in rhythms, uh, and instruments if you have them from those countries and letting the students try, uh, if you're doing an Irish piece, beg to get Bowrons. And so the kids can learn a really cool technique of the double-headed mallet and it doesn't matter if they can't do it right away the fact getting in there and trying trying um to do uh you know a a style that's from a different country and then featuring that in a concert if if someone can really play it can you Um, just pause there for a second jennifer can you just say the name of that irish instrument again because it just cut out for me so i think for the recording oh it's it's called a bowron good and it's spelled b-o-d-h-r-a-n i believe and pronounced bowron brilliant i know Uh, we'll be like i've heard that instrument before i've seen it so many times but i just want the name so yeah yes and the thing is also beg your administration for frame drums uh frame drums that are about you know this big because those then can become Malaysian compounds. They can become the Irish um, um, boron. They can become, oh, so many, the um, Native American uh, drum. Mm. Frame drums are so, so versatile. I usually try and have 20 or so frame drums in the classroom Mm. so that if I don't have enough, um, you know, East Indian or in Indian dull, uh, the drums that play a lot of Bangra music. If I don't, you know, you can't always get 20 of those, but you can get lots of frame drums. <laughs> Though I will admit my husband is like, Jennifer, ha- <laughs> most of our shit is drums. I, I, I did pare that down. And so yeah. now I just tell the administration to get drums. Um, <laughs> so that's one of the things is, is playing arrangements, that are from different countries, but not just playing them. 
getting some of the rhythms in, getting the students playing the rhythms. And the second thing in terms of that is I also get the students to research the basically the how, when, why, where, um, who, and students work in teams of three or four, and they have one thing they have to research. And it might be, it might be how does the music fit into the culture? And so then each group does a very short presentation and it is short. It really doesn't have to be a big thing, but it's, it's doing the, the peace and the culture justice that the students are finding out about it. I was quite surprised when we did a merengue piece, how much the local students, even though they knew merengue, knew how to dance to merengue, love merengue, they didn't really know the history uh, of merengue and the movement. Right. Um, and then they researched it. So, it, and again, it, it, these aren't huge, you know, three act plays. <laughs> these are just uh, small, small pieces of information that are shared, but that give them a really good idea of, okay, this is where this is coming from. Um, so, so that's a big thing. And I think, like I said, I have all of the walls, different styles of notation. Um, I also have bulletin boards where um, it'll say what's on your playlist and the students all, all photographed of their favorite artist of the time. And that starts conversations uh, sometimes, and I get to see what they're interested in. And uh, you can connect with the students that way. There might be one that comes along that loves. Um, I had a Korean boy who absolutely loved um, Miles Davis. Hmm. And so some of the students were, well, who's that? So it yeah. got us into a conversation. Yeah, about that. Um, and then honoring also the music of some of the students uh, that you are working with. And like I say, if you've got students who are from Japan, learn, a, learn something about their music, learn, uh, bring in um, the, some of the art, even if you don't have the instruments, there's so much on YouTube, so much on the internet, yeah. bring in uh, that music. If it's digital um, or, or live also, uh, it made me think too about looking at again the students who are in there, uh, but also connecting it to things. If you're looking at, like I was saying earlier, you've got a uh, you're looking at markings um, in in uh, Western music, minor and major seconds, and talking about what some ears might call dissonant, but other ears they they say no, that's 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 kind of like that's normal, um, or that's what we value in sound. And so if you're looking at any concepts, looking at rhythms, looking at the way melody moves, uh, even again, even it can be in a general music class, but then again, in a concert band class, looking at the way the melody moves in a piece you're doing and then relate that, find other examples, uh, but not Western examples, find examples from around the world. And it's so easy again. I have done lots of searches where I just go right into YouTube and I, and I can put in really high music. And <laughs> I like that. Seriously. <laughs> it's a great search. Yeah, it, there, yeah. Yes. It's, there are so many examples. And like I say, I could go on and on. Yeah. Uh, but really thinking as a teacher, how can we approach all of these concepts that are in the piece we're working on? Um, and and explode these uh, in, in from a global perspective. Mm. Um, I love so. this idea about 
exploding a piece. Um, fantastic concept. And yeah, yeah I'm sure, I'm yeah. sure we could ask more about that. And it'd be great to see some examples. Let's yes. talk about, yeah. you kind of went there before um, when you spoke about African music. Um, and then you quickly gave us more context about West Africa and which area, which region, um, which drum, in fact. I think this is a really important conversation and it's come up a few times in the music teachers in international schools community. This idea of cultural appropriation. Okay. How can we best approach culturally mm -hmm. diverse musics in a way that is, I guess, genuine? Yeah. Um, authenticity has been has been a conversation for decades now. Mm. Uh, authenticity, tokenism, and sometimes some of it is more the bureaucrats trying to trying to, I don't know, um, make themselves sound academic. Uh, and because sometimes it's, it's, we're being made to worry about something uh, more than it needs to be. Uh, what I mean by that, because I know that that might make some people go, yikes. Uh, <laughs> but what I mean is in my experience, everywhere I've lived, the the people that uh, I, the people with whom I've worked to to learn their music or to involve, they absolutely love it when I or the students want to uh, perhaps. Uh, well, I'll give an example. Talking to, to the kids about okay, do you have special clothes for your special festivals? And many of them do. And so we'll look at the um, very traditional sari, the women's sari. And the students love learning how to tie a sari. And then they'll get into where they're trying to tie it as fast as they can. Um, uh, uh, by the way, no one has ever beaten one of um, my music assistants. Her name was Shanti in Malaysia. Eight seconds, she can tie a sari. <laughs> There's a challenge, everybody. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, but then to have people come in and, and that are from that culture and be helping out and be really excited to see the students, um, you know, wearing a shower kameez. And there might be students from that area who bring in their extra celebration clothes. And the other kids want to try them on. They want to wear them. They want to see what it feels like. And they want to, you know, be, you know, have them then design, okay, what colors would you use if you had them? Um, I think that there, there is, I know that a line has to be drawn because it can shift to tokenism that especially, okay, uh, this is a terrible example, but it happens, uh, American Thanksgiving, where they decide to put feathers uh, on their little headbands, oh. uh, which is, is shocking and still happens. Um, to me, that is terrible tokenism, uh, or that the Indians, you know, go like that. That's, that is inappropriate <laughs> tokenism. Mm. Uh, but I think when you are in a place where the students are learning and they're wanting to experiment and try, uh, I have never had a problem with 
the um, host culture or traditional, um, um, what would you say, the um, culture bearers feeling like it's appropriation when the students want to uh, play, sing, um, perform something as close to the tradition as they can. Uh, and I think sometimes, or I think that now um, teachers have become a little wary of that, like, oh my gosh, can I, can I do that? And my answer to that is, as long as it's within this context of learning, there, I have never found it to be in insulting or inappropriate for any of the host culture or culture bearer, uh, culture bearers uh, who are involved or or see it. Um, it's it's a very complex issue, I think. Yes. Um, but at the same time, I think it keeps coming down to this idea of context. I will never teach a class and hand them djembes and say, okay, now we're playing African music because we're pounding on the djembes. Um, uh, it, it will, and when they perform, for example, on the Malay, Malay compounds, which are like a frame drum, mm. and they hit them in the middle and the side, uh, we will put that in context and, in context and say, this is... This is a style of drumming that's used to welcome people. And the students from grade seven or whatever have learned this, have learned about where it's used. And so we are going to welcome um, whoever today with these rhythms. Hmm. And I believe there is, there is, I don't think there's any appropriation in there i think it is the students learning about something that i think that's really well summed up and thanks for sharing that because i like you said i think it is a, an area where some music teachers can feel worried can i do mm -hmm. this is this well maybe i should just not bother you know that could be the the response right oh, i just i'll stick to what i know or what i can do because i don't want to do something wrong um i i think what you've said is is really uh, useful and and an important thing to say and to to think about. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you've covered so much. Um, I've learnt tons. I'm already thinking about okay. this exploding orchestra thing, um, exploding bed idea because I think that's fascinating. I'm sure there is tons of examples you could you could give us of how you've applied your approach. Um, to cultural diversity in the music classroom and especially in the international schools. But I mean, like you said, we could probably be here all day talking about it. So if people want to find out more about this approach, some of your ideas, um, some resources, you've mentioned your articles. How else can they get in touch with you or learn more? I, I would say directly. Um, I'm happy to share my email address. And if you want to do that, um, uh, I think you've got it there. Absolutely. I have, um, I um, fairly regularly have people who send me an email and say, Hey, I'm doing this. Do you have ideas? Do you, uh, do you, can you help me out on this? And I'm happy to. Cool. Great. We'll add that to the show notes. So it's easy for everyone mm -hmm. when, they, when they click away. Yeah. That's really cool. Um, so what's next for you, Jennifer? What's next Are you? What are you looking yeah. forward to? Well, I 
currently, I am very busy with the Smithsonian Institution. We've got, let's see, for the past two years, I think it is, um, we're working on um, this uh, series called Learning Pathways. And they already have quite a few learning pathways that are up on their uh, website under the, um, yeah, the Smithsonian Folkways Recordings. Um, and it's for teachers and it's free. And they've got a lot right now already up on um, uh, South American uh, styles of music. Um, and I think oh, off the top of my head, I can't remember the ones that are active now. However, uh, two years ago, they they called me and they said, OK, we're doing a series of learning pathways on um, music of the Asian royal courts. Mm. And uh, yeah. And then one of them who had, a, uh, he says, we're stuck. <laughs> and I said, oh, you're stuck. And so uh, they said, yeah, we, we want this to be for kids age six to about uh, 10. And they said, we don't know how to do this. And I looked at the work that they had done for the older kids and certainly very appropriate uh, work in terms of it's, it's visual, it's slides and then a teacher's guide and all kinds of links and, um, and examples and activities. Um, but I looked at, at those and certainly the whole color scheme was not for kids. And, uh, um, so had to completely, we completely, um, revamped all that and so as we went into year that took about a year and then for the past year we've then been working on uh lessons for each area so there now i would say in the next six months we'll be launching a lot of those um i did the one on um, java indonesia lots of gamelan um the one we've just finished the one on china there's korea japan um vietnam as well. And so it's a, what, what looked like a huge project two years ago is finally really coming, coming into its own. And just this summer, um, a, a student, well, not a student, a, a, a uh, expert mm. in Chinese music, she and I put together uh, the lessons on, on China, the music of the Chinese court and it's amazing thinking of how we just were kind of putting this all together two years ago. And then she and I have been able to just in the summer put together the whole module for, for China's royal courts. And so it is flowing much faster now. So those we want to be launching very soon. So that's been taking up uh, most of my extra time mm. is working on these as curator, writer, and consultant mm. uh, with this is Smithsonian Institution. Uh, so that's happening. And I'm not sure if things will just transition to full time doing that kind of work uh, because I love what's happening in in my classroom mm. uh it's research you know research is happening all the time and i have students doing reflective writing and i just keep gathering this uh because a lot of them really do get it when it comes to uh just um, cultural appreciation and uh and diversity and uh inclusion and so I would say looking toward my next article, 
Um, possibly I'm still kicking around ideas for the book that I would like to write on really looking at um, teachers and, and engagement and how to be that, that, that engaging teacher in a uh, uh, culturally diverse classroom. So there's a, another long answer to your short question, but that's where I'm going and, and really doing a lot of work as well, continuing to work with the colleagues that I've worked with for years and years, um, Harp Skippers, Pat Campbell, uh, for sure. And then really looking at the upcoming people like yourself who are really interested in this. And it is very refreshing to see that there are people who are getting into the field and who are really interested in it and just just really, you know, encouraging and, and seeing all these people doing it. So mm. that's, those are just my directions right now. Exciting. They sound like fantastic opportunities. And I think we'll try and link in the Smithsonian Institute um, Learning Pathways resources because if there's something there and if there's more coming, the, even yes. the resources you mentioned, the Royal Courts of Asia, like amazing. What an interesting way to, to look at music and i mean again yeah. we'll probably go a whole another conversation just on that but i think that'll be really useful for yeah. people sounds great um yeah and yeah good luck with that that sounds really exciting oh, um, thanks yeah i think we're gonna wrap it up if that's okay jennifer is there anything else that you wanted to share that we didn't kind of cover i think that i, I think it really i think that i i covered um most of it and and really, you know, reinforcing this idea of, of, you know, being bold and not, not thinking that, um, you know, the, that the Western doctrine is, is the only way to go and, and not thinking that that's the baseline. The baseline is really the, the whole world and you can start from wherever you want because it's music and, and, and it's important and every you know everybody has a music that they love or many that they love so yeah be bold jump in don't worry the baseline is the whole world i love that wow well thank you so much um again as i said we'll add links to um your email address website this is smithsonian oh, that's a mouthful for an australian the smithsonian institute resources um and hopefully people will get in touch with you. We hope to see you around the traps um, at maybe some conferences and upcoming academic sure. papers and your book. So much there. And um, again, thank you so much, Jennifer, for your time and for giving us all your wisdom and insight into this really important, tricky and exciting field, I think, for international school music educators. So thank you. Well, you're absolutely welcome. And yes, like you say, every, anybody is welcome to contact me. And thank you very much. It's been, a, it's been a delight. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Music Teachers in International Schools podcast. Listen to other episodes by visiting mtiis.com or learn more about our community on Facebook by simply searching for Music Teachers in International Schools. If you know someone who you think I should get on the podcast, I'd love to hear from you. You can find me at chriskulma.com, C-H-R-I-S-K-O-E-L-M-A.com. See you next time.